turn to the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter 14. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. Uh, I want to give kudos to, to Bill uh, Reagan for stepping up and leading in Wade's absent. Um, Wade is on vacation, as many will be in the summertime. Uh, amen for vacation. Uh, never feel guilty about taking a vacation. Enjoy yourself. Amen. Amen. We, we enjoy, uh, God has given us summer as a gift to us to enjoy his creation, and we should enjoy it. It is a, a sweet gift of his hand. Uh, well, I'm going to read Luke chapter 14, uh, starting uh, in verse 1, reading to verse 14. I planned to uh, originally to, to preach all the way through 24, but I really felt it was more necessary for us as a congregation to break this uh, passage up. And I'm really praying over the next two weeks that we would get a, a, a taste of, um, for how the Lord did ministry, and that we would uh, have our eyes taken off of ourselves and really fixed on how we can serve uh, those in need. Hear God's word, Luke 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and the Pharisees, saying, Is it lawful? to heal on the Sabbath or not. But they remained silent. And he took him and healed him and sent him, on, sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, When you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, Lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to, him, say to you, Give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. And when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when your host comes, he may say to you, Friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Let's pray. Father, we bow before your holy presence. We thank you for your grace. You are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You are gracious and merciful. God, we do want to exalt you. We want to give you all glory and praise this day, for you are worthy. You are so worthy. And God, when we enter into your presence, we know that we are unworthy. Uh, for so often we take our eyes off of your glory and focus on ourselves to serve our own ends. Uh, dear God, we pray that you would convict us of our sin. Reveal to us, even now as we pray, Lord, how we have walked astray this past week. And God, we take those sins... Um, that grieve the Holy Spirit of God, and we cast them before your presence, asking yet again through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ that you would forgive us our sins, that you who are faithful and just would cleanse us from our unrighteousness and purify us, that we may 
live for your glory. God, we, uh, we thank you, Lord, uh, for what you're doing in the life of our congregation. Father, we thank you for um, bringing new faces. God, we thank you for uh, the five folks who've joined our church recently. God, we pray you'd help them uh, assimilate well into our congregation. We pray you'd use them uh, to the upbuilding of your body and use this body to build them up. And God, we pray um, for those who are stepping out into the world, those who are graduating high school um, from our area, God, that they would understand, Father, that life is not about money. Life is not about even relationships, but life is about your glory. God, we pray that they would understand that all things, all things were created for you. Help them have kingdom eyes. And God, we pray for kingdom eyes across our city as the pulpits are preached, uh, preaching your word this morning. Uh, we pray specifically for Jay Hardwick at North Rock Hill Church. God, we pray that you would uh, bless his preaching. Lord, we pray you would anoint it with the power of the Holy Spirit of God, that the people in that congregation would be, would be built up and be fed by your holy word, that you would help move that congregation from one degree of glory to the next, bind that church in unity around the word of God. And God, we also pray that for our own hearts this morning. Father, we all come with different things on our mind and on our heart. We pray now that you would give us fixed and focused attention on your holy word. God, I pray against uh, distractions now. God, we, I pray, Lord, that I may decrease and that you may increase. That all that is said from, from this pulpit is not uh, in a way to seek anyone's glory but thine own. God, you are so glorious and you deserve all glory. So God, I pray that all that is said is honoring to you. God, bless us. Fix our hearts and our eyes on your word. Uh, let me preach with power to your people whom I love. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. I love to eat. Surprised, right? I love food. It does not matter if it's cold or hot, sweet or spicy, American or Mexican. I love food. And I am not alone. We Americans love to eat. Listen to what comedian Jim Gaffigan says in his Mr. Universe special. We eat to have a good time. Really, that all is a vacation really is. Just us eating in a place we've never been. Well, why don't we go eat something? Then go and get something to eat. Let's go see that thing we're supposed to see, then go get something to eat. I bet they have a snack bar there. And after that, we should go get something to eat, though. Then we should get something to eat. This, 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 this idea of Americans, we love food. And food really is a gift from God. Uh, we, need a, we never need a reason to celebrate with food, do we? We have plenty of opportunities, whether it's a birthdays, holidays, anniversaries, weddings, funerals, graduations, or Tuesday. <laughs> we never need a reason to celebrate. And when we celebrate, food is always right at the center. And the reason food is such a blessing is not because of the food itself, although it is good, but it's what, the, what surrounds the food, the laughter, the fellowship of loved ones and friends. Uh, Ellen and I have an old table in our dining room. Uh, it's from her family. It's over 100 years old. Um, and every time we sit down at that table, I'm reminded of how many conversations uh, were had, how many birthdays were celebrated, how many meals 
were shared. Table fellowship is a great gift from God. Jesus was a big fan of table fellowship. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, we've seen already, we often find Jesus going to a meal, at a meal, or leaving a meal. Jesus loved table fellowship. Uh, Tim Chester, in his book, A Meal with Jesus, Discovering Grace, Community, and Mission Around the Table, writes this. How would you complete the sentence? The Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. The Son of Man came, preaching the word, to establish the kingdom of God, to die on the cross. Perhaps we could make it more revealing if we said, should we go, dot, dot, dot. We should go campaign for political change, preach on street corners, make the most of new media, adapt to a culture we want to reach. There are three ways the New Testament completes this sentence. The Son of Man came, dot, dot, dot. Three ways. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man came not to seek. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. And the Son of Man has come, eating and drinking. See, the first two are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom, to seek and to save the lost. The third is a statement of method. How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. Jesus fulfilled his mission to seek and to save the lost through table fellowship. So this morning we see a window on what what it's like to have a meal with Jesus. Uh, This is the last time we see in Luke's gospel Jesus eating with the Pharisees. You see how he keeps on teaching and teaching and teaching the Pharisees, hoping that they would repent. But there comes a day when the Lord removes that option. So throughout this meal, Jesus provides several lessons for the Pharisees and for us. If you'd like to follow along with the bulletin provided for you, flip on the back and we'll see that first lesson, a lesson in helping others, a lesson in helping others. Uh, Verse 1 starts out with the timing of this meal, one Sabbath. When we hear the word Sabbath, we should be reminded of the previous scenes that have already taken place in Luke's gospel that have occurred on the Sabbath. Jesus has stirred a lot of conflict and controversy in in terms of what he has done on the Sabbath in various healings. Now, the Pharisees should have known where he stood, but they invited him over for a meal, not to bless him, but rather to build a case against him. Listen again to verse 1. One Sabbath when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. They were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. Then he took him and healed him and sent him away. And he said to them, Which of you, having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out. And they could not reply to these things. Notice at the end of verse 1, it says they were watching him carefully. The Greek text actually says watching lurkedly. There's this picture that they were there to trap him. It displays their motives clearly. Uh, We've seen in Luke 11, 
Verse 54, the Pharisees were said to be lying in wait for him, to catch him, that something he might say. See, here they go a step farther. Rather than just catch him, they actually propose a trap for Jesus. Look what it says in verse 2. It says, and behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. When you see that word in Scripture, especially in Luke and Acts, the, the author of uh, both those books, it's trying to draw your attention there. This, this should not be. This is something different. It's what we see in John chapter 1. It says, and behold, this, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. There is a, a shocking appeal there. Now, dropsy was a, the swelling of legs and arms believed by the Jews uh, to be God's judgment against sin. Now, it was not incurable, but you could obviously see when this man walked in, there was a need for help. But it was surprising that this man was even at the house of a Pharisee. People who had medical issues in that day, visible diseases, were outcast. And they were not welcome to the synagogue, let alone the ruler of the synagogue. See, Jesus knew their hearts. So it says, responding to them, responding to having this man there, Jesus looked at them and said, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? Their response is striking. They remained silent. Now here, we don't know why they remained silent. It doesn't say. They could have been waiting. Is Jesus going to break the Sabbath law by healing on the Sabbath? It's the same question, very similar, that, that Jesus asked in Luke 6 and 9, which says, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or destroy it? See, that repetition of that question is important. He says it in Luke chapter 6 and again in Luke chapter 14. Why? Because there has been some time. Will you believe? Pharisees, will you believe? Will you see who I am and believe? Again and again and again, Jesus gives this opportunity. See, oftentimes when people think about Jesus and judgment, they think that Jesus is cold, that he brings judgment right away. But that's not the way Jesus brings judgment. He gives time and patience. Do you know that every one of you breathing right now has, 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 is experiencing the patience of the Lord? Especially those of you who may not know Jesus. They remained silent, hoping that Jesus would heal this man. But regardless of the trap, what does Jesus do? Jesus does what Jesus does. He helped this man and sent him away. It's, it's almost as if this healing was an afterthought. It's very quickly, very quickly stated right there in verse 4. He took him and healed him and sent him away. Just very quick, no, no frills. It's barely mentioned. But then he looks again at the Pharisees and he says, Which of you, having a son or an ox that fell into a well on a Sabbath day, will not immediately pull him out? See, Jesus takes the trap that was meant for him and he flips the trap around back on the Pharisees. The Pharisees are silent again. See, but this time we know why they are silent. They could not reply to these things. Jesus exposed their hypocrisy. You are willing to help your own son, your own property, but you have no care for the needs of others. When you see 
Jesus responding again and again, we should ask ourselves, do we care only for our own? People in our own family, people in our own church, or do we care for those who need help? Jesus exposed their hypocrisy and shamed their valuing of traditions more than helping those in need. They know that if their son falls into a well or their ox, they will immediately go and pull him out. Now, if you're willing to do that, why should you not be willing to help those in need? The whole matter of the law is summed up in those two great commandments, that we should love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. So another way we could ask the question, is it lawful on the Sabbath to love your neighbor? The answer is clearly yes. For the Pharisees, the traditions of man became more important than people. Rules dominated relationships. Order controlled love. Beloved, when I pray for our church, I pray that we would never value tradition over people. I pray that we would never use rules to hurt relationships. Traditions and rules are not bad in and of themselves, but they should serve people and not hurt them. During this meal with Jesus, he is giving us a lesson in valuing people over traditions and loving our neighbors more than loving our rules. What traditions are you allowing to control your love towards others? Style of music, order of service, dress, activities, events. One way we can see if we're valuing tradition more than we're valuing people is how we handle change. When things change, and things do change, we've seen a world change drastically over the last 20 to 30 years. When changes happen, do you seek to understand why the changes are being made? and how they are used to maybe love our neighbors? Or do you feel threatened? Do you get angry? See, change is neither good or bad. Changes can be both good and bad. But are we willing to realize that our traditions must serve people, not the other way around? And if they do not serve people, are we bold enough to change? And if our leadership is bold enough to make a change to our traditions to serve people, to love our neighbors, are you bold enough to follow your leaders? One of the reasons why a lot of young men like me, who's 34, don't go to traditional churches is because they don't want the hassle of trying to change people's minds. I'd rather start something brand new. I'd rather go to a church and start my own thing. Because what happens inevitably when you go into a church and you try to make a change? You get pushback. Now, there's a lot of young guys who step into the pulpit and want to make change on day one. You can't do it. But, beloved, if we care about our neighbors, if we want to love our neighbors so they can see the glory of Christ, we have to be willing to change. So when changes are proposed, we have to ask ourselves, does this serve people? Does this help fulfill that second great command in loving our neighbor? Or do we immediately say, no, we can't do that. 
You've never done it before. That's the heart of a Pharisee. We can't heal the man with dropsy. The man whose limbs are swelling with fluid, who hurt, he has a hard time walking and he's in a lot of pain. We can't help them because our tradition is more important. Beloved, we have to be willing to seek to love our neighbors. Second lesson we learn from Jesus here is a lesson in humbling ourselves. A lesson in humbling ourselves. See, Jesus knows the hearts of man. Uh, he wants us to help others and to love our neighbors. So he shares a parable, again, to expose one of the underlying problems of the heart of the Pharisees, their pride. Look at the text in verse 7 through 11. Now he told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone most, more distinguished than you be invited by him. And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. See, people came to the party and sought out the places of honor. See, the principle established is to allow others to exalt you to the place of honor. Do not exalt yourself. For if you do, you may be asked to sit in the place of shame, the lowest place. Beloved, we live in a very dangerous times for our souls. Uh, there is an era that has come upon us of social media which gives a place and an opportunity to, for us to exalt ourselves. We post pictures, pithy quotes, and rants to demonstrate our intellectual prowess. See, the dangers that lie in our heart have now been given a, an expression with our change in technology. Things that were never even thought of being said in public before are now broadcast all over the waves of the Internet. They reveal the pride that is really inside of our hearts. It is not the outward things that make us unclean. It's the things of the heart that reveal our sin. Beloved Christians should never be those who exalt themselves. For we know he who humbles himself will be exalted. Let me illustrate this with a story of, by Doug Nichols. He was the founder of Action International Ministries. Listen to what he says. In 1966, I joined Operation Mobilization for a year of ministry in France. I spent two years in India instead. While in London that summer, at the one month of orientation, I volunteered to work on a cleanup crew late one night. Around 12.30 a.m., I was sweeping the front steps of the conference center when an older gentleman approached, and he asked if this was the OM conference. I told him it was, and most everyone was in bed. I had a, he had a small bag with him and was dressed very simply. He said he was attending the conference. So I said, let me see if I can find you a place to sleep. Since there's many different age groups at OM, I, I thought he was an older OMer. I took him to a room where he had been sleeping on the floor. There were about 50 men sleeping on the floor. And seeing that he had nothing to sleep on, I laid him a padding and a blanket on the floor and used a towel for a pillow. He said it would be fine and he appreciated it very much. As he was preparing for bed, I asked him if he had eaten. And he, he had not, as he'd been traveling all day, 
I took him to the dining room, but it was locked. So after picking the lock, I found cornflakes, milk, bread, butter, and jam, and all of which he appreciated very much. And as he ate, we began to fellowship. I asked him where he was from, and he said him and his wife were working in Switzerland in several years in a ministry, mainly to hippies and travelers. It was wonderful to talk to him and hear about his work and those who had come to Christ. When he finished eating, he turned in for the night. However, the next day I was in trouble. The leaders of the OM really got on my case. Do you know who that man is on the floor next to you? They asked. It is Dr. Francis Schaefer, the speaker for the conference. I did not know they were going to have a speaker, nor did I know who Francis Schaefer was, nor did I know they had a special room prepared for him. Beloved, this is the kind of man we want to be, the one who was, who was coming to receive the highest honor in speaking at the conference, who had a special room prepared, but would prefer to sleep in humility next to the other men of the conference. Beloved Christians should never be known for their pride because our Savior was never known for his. Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Having this mind among yourselves, that which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself. Our Lord humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory and praise of God the Father. See, humility always comes before exaltation. This is the calling of the Christian. The Christian life is a paradox. We die to live. We do not seek our own glory, but the glory of another. The last lesson we see in this brief encounter with this meal with Jesus is a lesson in the harvest of outcast. In the harvest of outcast. See, Jesus shares one more lesson with his host to reorient in this man's thinking away from self to focus on others. See, he's already exposed this man loves traditions more than people. He also explores how his guests have hearts full of pride. Now he wants, them to, re, he wants to reorient them to think like God. For God came to invite the outcast. Look at verses 12 through 14. He said also to the, to the man who had invited him, when you give a banquet, a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you, for you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just." Beloved, it is the heart of God to invite outcast to his table. God wants us to do what he has already done for us. We have been invited to the great marriage supper of the Lamb. See, God is preparing a feast. And who did he invite? He invited the spiritually crippled, 
to say, rise up and walk. The spiritually poor, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He invited the blind, believe and see. God came to us, the spiritually lame, the spiritually crippled, and invited us to his table through his son. The Bible says that because of our sin, we are deformed from God's original design. We do not walk upright or see clearly, but rather our hearts are corrupt. Even our best offerings are but filthy rags in his presence. Sin affects our whole being. Therefore, it is impossible for us to be right with God. Therefore, God had to send us an invitation. That invitation was sent through his son. See, Jesus is the only one who should have ever been invited to the table because he was the only one without sin. And yet Jesus gave himself. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, as our ransom to bring us to God. He died for us so we could have a place at the table. And after he died, God raised him from the dead, giving everyone hope for the resurrection to come. Beloved friends, sin has crippled you, but Jesus can make you straight. Sin has blinded you, but Jesus can make you see. Jesus is willing. But you must believe in him. He offers the only real invitation to the table. He offers his life, death, and resurrection for you. The invitation has been made. Will you accept? Will you RSVP with repentance and faith? Because that is the only thing that can get us through the door, that narrow door that we spoke about last week. Repentance and faith turning from sin, renouncing our pride and self-centeredness and choosing to follow Christ in humility. Jesus invites you to the table. Will you accept his invitation? Now you see, as he has invited us, now he is sending us into the world with that same invitation. He says, when you give a dinner or a banquet. He doesn't say if. He says when. You know why? Because we're going to give a dinner or a banquet, aren't we? We celebrate all the time. We love to eat. We host dinners. So the question is, who is on your invite list? Do you only invite those who can pay you back? Do you only invite those that will get you ahead or improve your reputations? Or do you invite the outcast, the lame, the blind, the crippled, those who are spiritually lost. One of the reasons uh, I believe the American church is dying uh, because we have forgotten that we were once outcast, that someone invited us to the table through the blood of Christ. See, we focus on our own health and we ignore the spiritually sick that surround us. We take our eyes off. We need to take our eyes off ourselves and focus on the lost. Then we will be blessed at the resurrection of the just. Do you see how pouring yourself out to those who can't pay you back shows that what you're really doing is putting your trust in the life, death, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ? 
See, we offer our homes to the spiritually broken because God has promised a place in His home to us when we were spiritually broken. Jim Peterson tells the story of his friend Mario. Uh, Mario was a prideful, Marxist intellectual. He loved to read Western philosophers, but he was spiritually lame, spiritually crippled. A few years, um, about four years, Mario and this man named Jim Peterson were reading the Bible together. Uh, He became a Christian, and after his conversion, he came. he, He asked Jim, he said, do you know why I became a Christian? And Peterson thought and thought. He said, maybe it was one of their Bible studies that they had or a sermon he heard at church. But Mario's answer surprised him. He said, Remember the first time I stopped by your house? We were on our way someplace together, and I had a bowl of soup with you and your family. As I sat there observing you, your wife and your children, and how you related to one another, I asked myself, when will I have a relationship like this with my fiancé? When I realized the answer was never, I concluded that I had to become a Christian for the sake of my own survival. Peterson reflected on the grace of Christ that Mario saw that bound that that family together. He said this, See, our family was unaware on its influence on Mario. God had done this work through our family without us even knowing it. See, we tend to see the weaknesses and the incongruencies of our lives, but our reaction is to recoil at the thought of letting outsiders close enough to see us and as we really are. Even if our assessment is accurate, it is my observation, now hear me, beloved, it is my observation that any Christian who is sincerely walking with God in spite of all his flaws, is reflecting something of Christ. Beloved, it is our responsibility to reflect a glimpse, a glimpse of the glory of God by inviting the outcast to our table so that they would accept the great invitation to God's table at the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, God invited us to the table when we had nothing to offer. We can never pay back what the Lord has given to us. We brought nothing to the table but sin, unrighteousness, shame, guilt, and regret. We brought nothing to the table, but we have been given everything. We've been given righteousness, holiness, purity, the life of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. As Isaac Watts so eloquently writes, were the whole realm of nature mind, That were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Beloved, we can never pay back God for what he has done for us. But since God has invited us, we have the great, great privilege to invite others to the table. If you have accepted the invitation of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only proper response for you is to invite others. Invite the spiritually lost. And if we as a church would look outside ourselves and give ourselves to the Great Commission by using our home and our meals and our food, naturally, as a part of our life, the lost would come to Christ. But we have to be willing to open up our homes to invite people to our table. Jesus has invited you. Will you invite others? Let's pray. Father, I pray that we are the kind of church 
that it would invite the lost to know Christ. We would do it with every means necessary. But God, I pray that we would do it around the table, that we would heed the words of Christ, that we would not invite only those to pay us back, but those who can do us no good. But God, that we would be repaid in the resurrection of the just. Let us live in life in view of the resurrection. Help us, Lord. Invite others to your table. We ask this in the name of Christ. Amen.